This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Welcome back to the DTC pod, everybody. I'm your host, Jay, and today we have a very special guest with us, Oscar Edelman, who is the founder and CEO of Remy, a direct-to-consumer company focused on offering sleep and wellness-related products and elevating the customer's well-being. Oscar, it's so great to have you on the podcast over here. I know we're going to be talking a lot about how you launched your brand during the middle of the pandemic. I've actually scaled from zero to $1 million, which is really impressive. A lot to unpack in that story. But before we dive in over there, how about you jump in? I'm going to pass the mic over to you. If you want to share a little bit about yourself and tell us a little bit more about your company. Absolutely, Jay. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you taking the time. Night guards and teeth whitening are not necessarily the most sexy topics. So I think it's important to understand the background and how we got here. I'll start by saying I am a VC by training. That's what I was doing before I started Remy. But more importantly, I've been a teeth grinder for about 10 years now. And for those of you who grind your teeth, and it makes up somewhere between 25 and 40% of adults in the U.S., it's a real problem. Teeth grinding can lead to broken teeth, worn down enamel, headaches, bad sleep, poor mental health. The list goes on and on. I personally can never get a good night's sleep if I don't have my night guard in. I think part of it is, of course, the physical protection, but then there's also a mental part of it as well. It's comforting to know that it's there. And over the past 10 years, I've lost about six of these. During work travel, a dog chewed up one of them. They're just a little piece of plastic and they can disappear easily. And I hope none of my dentists over the years are listening in on this, but I was always very aggravated that this little piece of plastic cost $600 to the dental office. And it just, it never made sense to me, but I never put my foot down until I lost that sixth guard. And I had a conversation with my dentist to try to understand why this piece of plastic was $600 and why my insurance wasn't covering any of it. And that led me to a conversation with about 75 dentists across the country. And that led me to find out most dentists aren't doing this in-house. They're farming it out to a third-party lab, the same labs that do the crowns and the bridges and all the other more extensive work. And so I had a conversation with those. And I found out that the cost to produce a night guard is really only 40 or $50, but the dentist was marking it up almost 10x. And that was the aha moment, Jay. That was the moment where I realized there's got to be a better way, right? This is the classic D to C moment where there's a middleman who's not really providing value. If you can find a way to go directly to the consumer, then you've got a business. And so we spent some time trying to figure out how to go direct to consumer and building this at-home impression kit. So today, you have not only the option to go to your dentist for a $600 custom guard or your pharmacy for a $15 boil and bite, one size fits none, but you have this middle option as well, the Remy Night Guard. And you go to the website, you order the at-home impression kit. We send it to you. It takes about 10 minutes to take your impression at home. We've got instructions. We've got a video. And then you send it back to us. We have built an in-house lab. 
our dental professionals here in San Francisco hand make every custom night guard for that customer based on the impressions that are sent in. We use some really cool technology to do it. And then we send it back to the customer. You never have to leave your house. You get the same product you would get from the dental office, but at a fraction of the cost. So that's sort of the founding story of how a VC turned CEO started selling uh, sort of an unsexy product like a night guard. That's really incredible. And it sounds like you were really rooted in the problem. Like you experienced it on your own. And that was what helped drive not only the idea for it, but I'm assuming also the whole customer experience and whole customer journey, right? Absolutely. I mean, it takes one to know one, right? You need to be a teeth grinder in order to understand the problems and what's broken with the current system and then how to fix it. Awesome. That's really incredible over there. So I want to talk about your launch, actually. And, you know, you've been able to scale this business from zero to one during a pandemic, which is pretty crazy. I'm actually really curious about your launch strategy, your go-to-market strategy in the sense of like what kind of gave you the confidence to keep going to create that successful product? Obviously, like launching a product is a difficult task, regardless of whether you're in a pandemic or not in a pandemic. But I'm sure that the external circumstances just made it even more difficult to launch. So how are you able to kind of keep pushing and feeling like you were onto something there? Yeah, well, a lot of it was I didn't know what was going on around me. Right. Nobody knew that this pandemic was coming and nobody knew how long it would last or that it's still here. Really, we're not over the hump yet. The idea, I really started working on it back in November and December of 2019. And I worked very, very hard with an awesome team of advisors and helpers in order to make this product happen as quickly as possible, really within just a few months. Almost from the second or third week, I was shoving putty and impression trays and night guards into friends and family's mouths to try to figure out the best way to do this. And there was something at the time that was really driving us to move as quickly as possible. I don't know what that thing was, but it was something in the back of our mind, this this entrepreneurial itch, if you will, that we're working nights, we're working weekends, we're working around the clock in order to go as fast as possible. We didn't know, but what we were racing towards was a launch right as the U.S. was shutting down, you know, really that sort of, you know, first and second week of March when COVID became a real conversational point here in the U.S. And that's exactly when we launched. And of course, we didn't know, was COVID going to be around for a week or a month or a year? But that's when the product was ready. And so that's when we launched it to the public. And it's hard to get press and be part of the news cycle when something like that is going on. So there are many complicating factors that go into launching a product. And it, and it gets even more complex and difficult, of course, if there's something like a global pandemic starting at the same time. You know, We had issues with supply chain, with our vendors, with building a team. Everything seemed to be complicated exponentially by this event that was going on around us. But I'll say, Jay, that despite all of that, we were able to launch the product and the feedback from customers has been overwhelmingly positive. And it gives us a really great feeling to know that if we can do this, if we can launch into the eye of the storm, imagine when we're on the other side of this. Imagine when we're over the hump 
And, you know, people aren't constantly talking and thinking and stressing about COVID when, you know, our suppliers aren't telling us they're three, four, five, six weeks delayed and we can get things on time. Imagine how quickly we can run then. So you asked what sort of motivated us to keep going, even in in this sort of crazy time around us. And I think it's that. It's the idea that if we're doing well now, we're really going to be able to crush it on the other side of this. Yeah, I'm glad you brought in the customer piece as well that you've kind of seen the validation there. And that kind of segues into the next thing I wanted to kind of unravel, which is what kind of validation were you doing before going to market? I'm sure and you did this pretty fast, right from the idea to launch, what kind of validation did you do to be able to feel like, hey, I think we're really on to something over here? You know, back when I was in school, not too many years ago, I participated in NYU's Entrepreneurial Institute. Some of the programs they have there really focus on this idea of getting out the door, getting outside of the building, talking to customers. At NYU, it was literally walking out the door and being in Washington Square Park and talking to strangers. And as you know, New Yorkers are not always the the kindest to strangers. So it's a great exercise in just collecting feedback from folks. We tried to take that principle and apply it here as we were getting ready to launch the product. We depended very heavily on friends and family. And I think if you took a poll of my close friends and family, they would tell you I was essentially harassing them for weeks. (laughs) Different product iterations, ideas, thoughts on pricing. In some ways, we're very lucky because grinding your teeth is a human condition. So it doesn't matter your age, your economic class, where you're from, where you live, what your race is. None of that matters. If you are a human, you have between a 25 and 40 percent chance of being in our target demographic. And so it was relatively easy to find folks in my network who would be willing to be our test subjects, our guinea pigs, if you will. And we used that hard. And we probably overstepped sometimes, but all in the name of getting to a product that we felt comfortable customers would love and at a price point that would be acceptable. Yeah, for sure. That's really awesome how you were able to do that. And I love how you painted that picture of your product does fit a a large target market, which makes it really great for doing that validation. I know you hit on pricing a little bit. And so I kind of want to dive into that. You'd mentioned earlier that the typical night guard from a dentist is about $600, which is like 10x the the cost of goods, essentially. So you guys are priced much more competitively than that. So how did you settle on the pricing structure? Like I noticed you guys have a subscription thing. So what was the thought process behind there? We charge our customers as little as we possibly can. That's really the foundation for our pricing. We realized that the The way to lower costs for our customers to basement pricing is to build our own lab, not to outsource this. And that's complicated the business and our launch and operating during COVID tremendously because we essentially built a dental lab from the ground up in San Francisco, which is not the least expensive geography to build a manufacturing business. And... In many ways now, Jay, we are running a dental lab and we are running a direct-to-consumer company. 
And there's a constant pull back and forth between my time and the team's time on focusing on operations, which isn't just packing boxes, but is actually making a custom product for every single customer and figuring out how to refine the business, reach more people, understand the customer better. So to go back to your question a little bit, and because we were able to do that and build our own dental lab in-house, we were able to lower COGS. We're able to figure out what our cost of acquisition is for the customer. And that's essentially what we charge. The idea behind the subscription business is that in order to beat the dentist on quality, we wanted to make sure our guards were as comfortable as humanly possible. The average dental guard is about three to four millimeters thick. Ours is one millimeter thick. So if you've ever worn a clear aligner or a clear retainer, it's about that thickness. It's significantly more comfortable. And so that increases the compliance, that increases the rate at which our customers actually use the product because it's not bulky and uncomfortable. It is a thin, comfortable product. And by doing that, we realized these would need to be replaced more frequently. So we dropped the price, we dropped the thickness, we made it much more comfortable, we are increasing how often people are actually wearing it, right? the compliance with the directions from the dental professional, and we are putting it on a subscription so that a new night guard is delivered automatically to your door every six months. And from early results, that seems to be sort of the, the magic ingredient that makes it all work. I love that. That's really cool over there. And thank you for diving into that. So there's kind of like two sides to the equation over here, right? So you've got the dentists that we've talked about a lot that are pricing their product at a much higher rate. And then you've also got the drugstore products, right? I think we've all probably maybe walked into a drugstore and seen like a mouth guard or a mouthpiece or something like that, that you can purchase as well. I'm really curious. So obviously, you know, on the dentist side, dentist versus Remy, you're winning on price point over there. How do you compete on the messaging to people that might be drugstore night guard buyers? It's tempting, right? You walk into a pharmacy and you see a night guard for five or 10 or $15. You want to try it. I've tried so many of them. They're all essentially the same. It's a block of silicone, of rubber, and you either drop it in a pot of boiling water or you put it in the microwave and it kind of forms more or less to the shape of your teeth a huge amount of material. If you've ever played soccer or football or basketball, and right, Steph Curry is famous for having his big night guard. It's meant for sports. It's not meant for sleeping. And while they're marketed as such, it is really apples to oranges. In the VC world, before I started Remy, I worked for BMW's VC arm. And so I'm a bit of a car guy. So I'll give you sort of a transportation analogy here, which is that if the dentist custom night guard is a blue car, then the Remy custom night guard is a green car. They're going to get you there at the same time, same speed, same safety, same comfort. The -the over-the-counter pharmacy option, it's like a bike or maybe like a scooter. I mean, honestly, it could even be just walking, right? You sort of are addressing the same thing here. They're both modes of transportation. They're both technically night guards, but they're completely different products. It is challenging to explain that to the average consumer. And that's an area that we really want to improve on from a marketing standpoint, because oftentimes people see our product at $100 and they don't compare it to the $600 product. They compare it to the $15 product. 
we are a competitor to the $600 product. We, we don't even come into the same league as the $15 product. So in some ways, actually, Jay, going back to your previous question, having such low pricing <laughs> makes it more difficult because then we're compared against the least expensive competition, not the most expensive competition. It's a tricky marketing question, absolutely. And it's not something that we've mastered in our first year of business. Yeah, and everyone, I think, can probably get along and understand the importance of having a premium product for something that's daily use and something that's really important, like your teeth. So that makes a lot of sense over to me. Social media is a full-time job, but you don't have to do it alone. Ami is our favorite social media agency. From TikTok to tweet, you'll work with a team of professionals to level up your social media in 2021. Visit amisocial.com. That's A-M-I-E social.com. I want to take a second and talk about, you know, your customer experience and your customer journey. I know you talked about earlier on the podcast how, you know, you interviewed so many dentists and you interviewed other people as well to really kind of figure out. And you're obviously so involved in the product as well because it's a problem that affects you personally. So talking about customer experience, what are you guys doing as a team to kind of create not only just a better product or a product that's priced better, what are you doing on the other end to work on that customer experience and really provide something that you might not be able to to get in a dentist, something that's uh, experience-wise pre-purchase and post-purchase? It's a great question. And the answer is pretty straightforward. We want to have the absolute best customer service out there. Not the best customer service in the dental field, not the best customer service in the D2C field. We want to have the absolute best customer service. For the first several months of the company, the 1-800 number on our website went straight to my cell phone. And to this day, I still take some calls, not all of them, but it was really about understanding the customer service needs of our customers. We have a whole system on the back end of making sure that we get back to our customers, not only quickly, but with a really custom answer. We certainly spend more time and frankly money per customer or per case, if you will, than most. But I believe that that is in the end what sets you apart is the relationship that you build with the customer. And while you know we can't have the customer here in our office sitting in a dental chair like the dentist does, we have to still find a way to build a relationship with them. And the customer service touch points, especially with a product like ours, which is truly custom for every customer, is very important. So that's something interesting that you brought up over there, which is that cost per case, which I think is really interesting. I haven't heard anyone else bring that up. What made you kind of think of that? And is that something that you guys track at Remy? You know... We made a very intentional decision from day one not to take any cost-cutting shortcuts, shortcuts that we see other companies quickly fall into. They're shortcuts, but they're traps. So for example, we have the absolute best dental professionals in an office in the heart of San Francisco. It would make a lot more sense to move to Nebraska, but we're here. It's the same thing on the customer service side. It's so easy today to outsource customer service to AI, to outsource customer service overseas or to lower cost regions. 
frankly, right now, you know, in, in the age of Zoom and COVID, it would be easy to have somebody who's in a lower cost location doing the same thing that our team in San Francisco is doing. But there's something about being here and about hiring the absolute best talent. I mean, the folks who we have working on customer service are really world class. And I think that the return on investment, and it is, by the way, a number that we track not super closely, not on a daily basis, but the return on investment when it comes to customer service is very high. Our business depends on positive online reviews and positive word of mouth marketing. So if we can give our customers an experience that they feel they haven't had elsewhere, they haven't seen in years, those are an old fashioned customer service mentality where, you know, you might send us an email and we will call you and we'll give you an answer and we'll chat with you and we'll make sure that you're, you're all set. And then we'll follow up with you a few days later to see how it's going. That type of attention and white glove care, it costs more, but the return on investment is high. That makes a lot of sense. So I think for the audience, it would be really beneficial since we haven't really covered this topic. How do you calculate that metric? Is there something you're doing specifically there? Well, when I say cases, I mean issues. So we take how many issues we have in, say, a month, and then we understand on an hourly basis what our customer service team costs us and divide it by that number. And as we scale, it's been interesting to watch the percent of customers who reach out to us, right? So before when we were helping, say, 200 customers a month and we had just a small handful of folks reach out to us, we're now tracking at thousands of customers a month and at you know hundreds of folks reaching out to us, what the actual repercussions on the business are. You know, do we need more help? Do we need less help? Should we cut back on the number of people who are calling and just try to respond to everybody with a quick email? Does it make sense to start automating some of those emails? But at the end of the day, while it would be easy to implement some things that would help us cut that number, that cost down, I really feel that that's not where you want to cut your costs. The interaction, the relationship with the customer is the most important thing for every direct-to-consumer brand, in my opinion. Yeah. And I'm sure it probably also helps you out on your customer acquisition cost overall. Like, you know, if you try and pull back and decrease that cost per case, essentially per issue that rises up and maybe provide, you know, try and automate some of that customer success. I'm sure it wouldn't be today, but I'm sure something you're thinking about is that might affect my customer acquisition cost down the line, right? Absolutely. It's customer acquisition cost, Jay, but it's also, you know, our ability to upsell the customer. It's our ability to convert the customer from a single purchase to a club purchase. If you've had just an amazing experience with us, you're much more likely to go for the upsell. You're much more likely to convert from that single purchase into our club because you feel like you're going to be taken care of if you stick around. For sure. I'd love to dive in a little bit on the retention piece. It's a perfect segue into that topic. So I know you have that club option that is kind of your typical subscription model. What are the strategies that Remy is doing to help push customers into the subscription model? Is there anything that you're doing specifically, maybe on a tactical level, maybe there's some strategy that you can share with us? I'd love to hear what you have there. The most important thing here is to make sure 
that the subscription service you're offering actually adds real value to the customer. And so for us, there is really a lot of direct value in being part of the club, right? We save your impressions. So if you ever lose them or you ever want a new one, we're here for you. If you ever want whitening trays, we're here for you. You don't have to take the impressions again. You don't have to pay full cost. You get a discount. You're a lifetime member. There's no cancellation. There's no fees. There's no you know pausing. There's no contract. We make it really easy. The idea of the club is almost like you're part of this VIP group, right? It shouldn't be something you're locked into. It's something that you want to be a part of. And frankly, we don't want to trap customers in. So one of the things we do is we will email you three days before your subscription renews and we charge your credit card. We do not want to be one of those companies where all of a sudden you've got a surprise (laughs) on your credit card statement and you call up angry and confused on what happened. We want to have everybody know exactly what's going on. It's about full transparency. And so to sort of get back to your question of conversion, about 85% of the customers that come through us through our website opt from day one into the club. And I think that is the most important metric when you're talking about how much value does the subscription service actually add to the customer's life? Is it making it a little bit easier or is it making it substantially easier? And the fact that 85% of our customers who come from the website automatically go to the club means that they see the value from it very clearly. And then again, to go back to converting the, the remainder, the folks who purchase one time, it's about building that relationship with them, right? It's not about necessarily traditional drip campaigns and emails and, you know, filling up their inbox. We use email very sparingly. We didn't send a single email on Black Friday. Instead, we save that firepower, that ammunition, if you will, in order to have a really genuine conversation. So again, going back to the higher touch customer support, we'll call our customers, right? We'll call individual customers a few months after they've received our product to see how it's going. Oftentimes we hear it's going great. I think I might need another one in you know, three or four months. And that's our opportunity to naturally upsell from a single to a club customer. But we don't really force it. So far, the numbers suggest that that more genuine approach is working. For sure. Was there a lot of testing that you and your team did to kind of figure out you know, 85% converting on a subscription, like that being the first thing is pretty impressive. Was there a lot of testing that kind of went into that with users or was it really just your strong understanding of the problem and what people were looking for in terms of a solution? I cannot take too much credit for it. There was an enormous amount of testing. Absolutely. We're still testing. We're still refining. It's about how we display the information on the website. It's about how we communicate and talk to our customers. But it's also about the product itself. This is a product that traditionally is not sold on a subscription. I have never heard of a dentist who sells night guards on a subscription, but it's a product that's perfect for subscription, right? We're not trying to force a square peg into a round hole here. It's not a product like a pen where you really don't need a subscription. It's a product that you use every day. And in many ways, it it wears out and it gets old and smelly and yellow over time. That's just the natural course of having something in your mouth for eight hours, you know, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And so if there was ever a product that was primed for subscription, 
this would be it. And we have only built on top of that and tried to understand how to communicate that to our customers. But the high level of subscribers and our very high level of retention on those subscribers, I think has a lot to do, maybe more to do with the product itself than how we're describing it and how we're talking to our customers. That's incredible. That's great to hear. One last thing I want to kind of ask is, you know, we're coming down to the end of the podcast over here. I am really curious. So we talked a little bit about growth at the beginning of the podcast going from zero to one. Is there anything on the strategy side, whether you want to talk high level strategy or maybe some tactical points that you're implementing or working on right now that's really helped you scale to this level and really create, you know, or that high retention model that you've created as well? Mm -hmm. I would say, don't be afraid to step on the gas. It is very scary when you are just starting out as a founder, D2C or otherwise, and it may feel like you need months and months of customer data and training and feedback. But I will say that when it comes to growth, there is no time like the present. Truly, if you want to be a big brand, you need to build up the foundation of trusting customers as quickly as possible. And so as soon as you feel like you have reached some sort of maybe product market fit isn't even the right word, but product customer fit, you've reached a point where you have a product that people like, they're not returning it, right? And at a price that people are paying, i.e. you're seeing sales come in, That's the moment, not three weeks later, that's the moment where you want to start stepping on the gas pedal. And unless you see that the wheels are flying off the car as you're barreling down the highway, I'd say keep your foot on the gas. It's a scary thing. You want to let up. You want to catch your breath. You want to take a weekend off. But I would say in the business that we're in as folks here who are are listening to this podcast interested in the world of direct-to-consumer, there's no time for that. If you want to build and participate in a direct-to-consumer startup, you need to be able to go 10 out of 10 every day. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, the feedback loop is a lot shorter over there. You're getting instant product feedback versus something that's in retail. So Mm -hmm. it can be very easy for someone else to come in. And if they're able to, to capitalize on that feedback loop faster than you can, you might be in a little bit of trouble, possibly. I think you're right. Awesome. Well, Oscar, it was so great having you on the podcast over here. Really great getting a chance to dive into your founder story. And we unpacked a lot of information on how you've been able to achieve high growth and really just your idea and vision for what customer experience should look like. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Before we wrap up here, I want to ask a final question and I'll ask you for some more information as well. What's next for Remy? What do you guys have planned for 2021? And if you also want to share a little bit of information on where the audience can learn more about you and find more information. Absolutely. So I can't give away the whole roadmap, but I will say one of the very first things you said as the recording started on this podcast is that we are a direct-to-consumer company that's focused on offering sleep and wellness-related products. We're not a night guard company. We're not a custom teeth whitening kit company. We're a company that wants to bring products to the world that help people feel and sleep better, but are far more accessible than what's already out there. So I won't spoil the surprise of what's next and what's in the works. And I will say, 
we are still very much focused on making sure that our first two products here, the custom night guard and the custom teeth whitening kits, nearing perfection before we start our next product line. But expect to see exciting stuff from us in 2021. We're certainly working hard to make it happen. To answer the second part to your question, Jay, you can find us online at www.shopremi, S-H-O-P-R-E-M-I.com. Of course, we're on all of the social media platforms. You can go follow us on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook and even on LinkedIn. But really, the website has all of the FAQs and information. So for the 25 to 40% of listeners who are listening to this right now and are grinding their teeth, if you are looking for a better solution than what you already have, check us out. Awesome. And I'm glad you dropped in that one last tidbit at the end about really going in deep and making the best product before you start expanding. That was a really nice little nugget you just dropped at the end. But Oscar, thank you so much for having us on the podcast. I really enjoyed listening to your story and everything you had to share. And for everyone else that's out there listening, I hope you enjoyed listening to Oscar and learning a little bit more about Remy. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to drop us a quick rating and subscribe to the podcast. Other than that, we'll see you next time on the DTC pod. Thank you.